Welcome to From the Heart, a podcast where we are talking truths, taboos and triumphs. Please be advised that this podcast may contain triggers. If you find yourself triggered by any of our topics, please reach out and seek help. Wonderful. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of From the Heart. We are here today with the lovely Carla Caswell, um, who has an incredible story to share with us today. Um, as always, I will let everyone know that there are trigger warnings for this podcast, especially this episode. It is going to get quite deep. We are going to talk about uh, self-harm and some other uh, deep topics. So if this is a, um, a trigger for you, um, then please stop listening to this episode and go and listen to another one. Uh, if you are still with us, then thank you and welcome. And um, yeah, we're going to get into some real shit today. Um, I should probably put a swearing disclaimer on this one too, because um, when you're talking about deep shit, when you're talking about really emotional stuff, the last thing you want to do is have to censor yourself. So if uh, if some F-bombs are going to offend you, then either please cover your ears, uh, which would be pointless if you're listening to this in the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, then maybe have subtitles up, um, whatever you need to do to be able to get through. Um, so look, we might have some laughs in this in this uh, episode. We might not. Well, we we do what where it takes us. We go where it takes us. Um, so as I said, we have uh, Carla with us today, who has an incredible story. Um, so Carla, before we get into that, please introduce yourself and tell us what it is you do. Yeah, hi. So great to be here um, and um, to be able to share share my story. I think it's super important that you've opened the space for. For people to talk about these things um so yeah as you said i'm carla caswell um i am a resilience coach um and i also have a, a background in digital marketing for many years uh, working in the corporate space so hence uh, where the the resilience sort of came out not from my life only but from <laughs> from the agency world as well yes it, it's a big one it's a big one um and it's one of those things that um, you know, I always have that surprise question at the end that I'll be asking everyone. And it is, um, you know, what are your top three tips for resilience? Um, I think your whole episode is going to kind of be <laughs> giving little hints along the way of that. Yeah. Um, but be forewarned, that one will come at the end. Um, so look, I, I guess um, I, I don't know where to start. So why don't you start off just telling us a little bit about um, what drew you to coming on the podcast today and give some people give people a bit of an idea on what we'll be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, being able to open up about um, kind of awkward taboo type topics um, that we don't um, feel comfortable about often sharing and it does make us feel quite isolated um, when we aren't able to share these things and, you know, potentially other people could benefit from. Um, so I guess my story sort of starts when I was nine years old. Um, my, I had two lovely parents, you know, middle-class family, nothing unusual. Um, and my, my parents had quite a tumultuous relationship. And unfortunately, it culminated one evening in my dad actually shooting and killing my mom. Um, it was not something that was like premeditated or anything like that. Um, I mean, I don't think I'd ever seen my dad get sort of aggressive <laughs> at all. Um, but, you know, something was triggered that evening. Um, 
And I think what was was difficult for me was that um, I was supposedly asleep through this whole thing, but actually I, I was awake through the entire um, ordeal. My dad then left the house and kind of went to um, turn himself in. Um, I then went downstairs, saw my mom, um, and then had those normal childhood fears of I'm going to be in trouble for being out of bed and all of those sort of basic things. So, you know, I, I went back to bed. Long story short, I, I had to end up going to a swimming camp that weekend. So off I went. Um, nobody had spoken to me about what had transpired that evening until I got back. Um, so as a nine-year-old, you know, I'm off for the weekend competing at swimming and with this on my shoulders. And um, when I when I got home, I was obviously told um, that mom had passed away. But I would, to this day, nobody in my family has actually told me what happened. Um, and it actually came to a point where in my early 30s, I would say, I actually ended up having a conversation with my mom's mom um, and saying to her, you know, look, I actually am aware for all these years of what had gone on. And I think that for me really impacted my life from that moment which I think was so pivotal of me making that choice to not say anything when I was told about what had happened. I carried this kind of secret with me for my whole life and, and a huge amount of perfectionism um, issue came out of it for me um, where I was trying to protect my family from other people finding out because, you know, as a kid, you, you don't want people's parents to say, well, you can't go around there because, you know, her dad is dangerous or things like that. Um, and my dad managed to stay out of prison. I'm not sure all the details because it was something I chose to not delve into. I didn't feel like it was beneficial for my healing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I decided on that moment to become the perfect child, to never be a problem in anyone's life, to keep my family unit together, to take on this sort of adult role um, from a very young age. And I guess that was the moment I started to also build this resilience within me in terms of, you know, just going through life and um, not having anywhere to turn to. Um, you know, I was never sent to counseling. I was never. Um, kind of you know I had a lot of everyone else's grief being put onto me but nobody ever sat me down and asked me how I was dealing with it um you know and I kind of thought later in life well you know what nine-year-old loses their mother and just continues to do well at school excels at sport like doesn't even like there's no blip on the radar she didn't go into drugs <laughs> you know? yeah um, but, you know, I think I came from a very sort of British upbringing. So it was like, we don't talk about our emotions. We don't, you know, discuss these things. And okay. um, again, why these sort of podcasts are so important, because there's so many people, I think, out there who are in family units that don't discuss these sorts of things and don't allow people to share. Yeah, that must have been really hard to to kind of not be able to, well, to, I guess, first of all, wow, um, but to kind of feel like you had to take on that role of, of putting everyone else first and not being able to just be the kid and 
and be the kid that lost her mum and and having all of your questions answered and and all of those things do you think you didn't you didn't speak up because you'd already kind of um not pretended that's not the right word but you'd implied that you didn't hear it and that you you weren't privy to it as it was happening and because no one spoke to you about it you kind of went to well I'm not supposed to know because you know I I was out of bed I'm not supposed to know this do you think maybe that had an impact on why you didn't ask questions earlier I think yeah 100 percent. I think there was an element of um you know just that fear of a child not doing something they weren't supposed to do um I think also there was an element of not being in a family unit where sharing was natural so I think immediately I kind of just shut down and went okay you know I was in one of those families where kids are seen and not heard um and so I think subconsciously I probably shut down a bit and then when I think back as well I think there was a moment where I could see the pain in my dad's face when he was talking to me and maybe, I don't know, something in me was just like, I don't want to make this pain any worse than it has to be right now. And I think that kind of triggered me as well because I think he, I could see the pain that he was in and how he almost had let me down. Yeah. And I think I kind of maybe... And again, like you don't know what's sort of going on in your head, but when I sort of have unpicked it over the years, yeah. um, you know, I do think that there was a part of me that didn't want to create any more pain than they already needed to be. Um, obviously, at the time, I didn't realize the detriment to my own mental health going forward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that and I guess that's also why I went into being the perfectionist, you know, perfect child, because. Uh, one, I wanted to keep my family unit together. I didn't want to risk losing anybody else. Um, unfortunately, I did lose my dad at 27. Um, he had a long illness. Um, you know, I do think I'm a I'm a believer in sort of, I guess, karma. Um, so I guess there's an element of that for me. But you know, it's it just that uncertainty I guess um of of navigating emotional situations and um it's it's why it's also so important for me and I'm so passionate as well about when it comes to resilience coaching is is working with younger people because these are tools um you know I'm not necessarily saying for me because I was really young that would have been a sort of parental um responsibility but you know for teenagers and and young people the tools to navigate these life challenges um, was something I just didn't have. And I think a lot of people just didn't have. And, you know, it's taken me so many years of, you know, self-reflection and therapies and doing all these like, you know, readings and things to really get to the place that I'm at. Um, But if I could have just had that sort of toolbox of like, (laughs) these are are things that will help you, um, you know, that, that could have changed, you know, I could have saved myself 20 years of doing that stuff yeah yeah that's that's crazy i we the podcast that we were recording earlier we we kind of had a bit of a chat about it before we started recording today um and we were talking about how resilient children are um especially in the face of family relationship breakdowns and when mum and dad are fighting and 
and that they do tend to take on that role of, well, if I'm really good, then they can't fight about that. And, you know, and if I do everything right, then, you know, I'm going to help, you know, everyone else cope. And to me, it sounds like that's exactly the role that you fell into because it was just natural yeah. for you to, well, if, if I don't do anything wrong, then I'm not going to be the cause of any more pain or hurt or, or anything like that. Um, not yeah, that, that, I think that was fair on you at all, but, you know, I guess, you know, in, in families like yours where we, where they don't openly discuss feelings, especially for men, men, are, they're the worst for it. You know, we don't have feelings sorry but if I step on your toe or if you step on Lego it hurts you're angry at me that's a feeling yeah. um, so don't try and pretend you don't have them because we know that that's utter bullshit um yeah. and that it's it's okay to to be vulnerable and and to you know especially with you young boys um you know um, I think it's more accepted that we you know we talk to our young girls about emotions but please for any parent of young boys out there listening please yeah. let your your little ones and your little boys know that it's okay to feel um yeah. no one has ever been helped by bottling emotions up because it gets to boil over and they explode yeah absolutely and you know I think you know, I saw that both in myself and my and my dad. Um, you know, my dad ended up having like real like struggle with depression as well, especially when he got ill. Um, but also for myself, like I then you know struggled with PTSD uh, when I was about nineteen. Um, I didn't even know what that was until I went to a therapist. Um, you know, I awkwardly had to ask my dad to go to a therapist because I was a student and I didn't have the money um so that was another awkward conversation yeah. that had to happen um because I think he felt like oh my god what have I done wrong that she needs to go see someone and actually I think that's the biggest thing it's not what have you done wrong it's just you know life is is tricky it's yeah. you know we we sometimes need support from an objective point of view um, but yeah, I, you know, and I, I was basically told I had PTSD because I'd never dealt with any of these emotions. Um, and then later on, I, um, went through a really difficult time. I'd gone, I went through a divorce and it just triggered everything again for me. Um, and, and I attempted suicide and, um, wasn't very good at it apparently thankfully we're, we're <laughs> thankfully <grateful. laughs> um, you know I, I, I was really good at things when I was younger but that wasn't one of them um but you know and and that was all from from nine years old it was you know and I kept thinking it was because of my job or it was because of this or a boyfriend or a divorce or but actually it was all triggered from that same pain that I'd never dealt with um and even though I had gone to therapy and things, there was obviously still some, you know, stuff. And I realized that for me, it was, it was an abandonment thing. Um, so, you know, I felt like my mom had been taken from me. Uh, then my dad had been taken from me. And then now my husband had been kind of taken from me. Um, even, you know, and that all just triggered. And then again, you know, like we say, if you, if you, like nothing good comes from bottling up your emotions. No. Um, and 
And it's not about getting stuck in those emotions. You know, it's about, because that that's also detrimental because then it's when you end up in depression. Yeah. Um, but it's about really just accepting things and, you know, talking to someone or journaling or um, walking in nature, whatever it is that allows you to process those emotions and then kind of move forward. Um, because we're never, you know, I, I always say, like people say, I oh, forget about your past, but I, I don't think we should ever forget about our past because our past is ingrained in who we are. It's created the person that we are. And that's beautiful, but yeah. it's about not being stuck there. Yeah. And I was very much stuck there for many, many years. And, and everything that went wrong, you know, I kind of blamed on my circumstance because I didn't have that when I was younger or I didn't have a mom who could guide me through that. Or I didn't have a dad who was present because he was consumed with grief and guilt and, you know, and actually it was just came down to me not dealing with those emotions. Yeah. And there's, in hindsight, there's no way of you knowing that that not dealing with them as a child would lead to, you know, bigger yeah. problems down the road. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things I always say, um, like when I'm, I'm doing, you know, personal or professional development, um, I don't know what I don't know. Um, yeah. when someone says, oh, why are you learning this? Well, because I don't know what I don't know. So, so teach me about it. And I think it's a little bit like that. It's that hindsight of, you know, if, if we could go back and, you know, you could tell yourself all the things that, you know, would have helped you you know, you might not have had such a hard time, you know, through those years, but until someone invents a time machine, we're stuck with just <laughs> learning the lessons as they Figuring come it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What do you think? So, if you could go back to that that little girl, what when it comes to resilience, um, seeing as you're a resilience coach, what advice would you have for younger you, or what advice would you have for another parent out there that might be listening that has had something happen in their family or their home? Um, where they have lost someone close to them, um, you know, to, to help them help their kids? What what kind of tips can you give them from someone that was that kid? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it seems like the obvious stuff, you know. I think communication is just so key. Um, but I think it's also a, it's a, it's a difficult one to navigate because you also can't force somebody to feel what you want them to feel. Um, you know, my gran, whenever I used to visit her, would be, you know, she'd take me to the, the gravesite and she'd get all emotional and she'd kind of want me to be the same. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this emotion. Because one, I was not used to seeing her with emotion. But also I was just like, I don't know what you want me to do right now. Like, you know, I'm like 10 or 11. Like, I, I don't know. Like, this is awkward. So it's also like, don't force the emotion that you're feeling onto how your kid must feel or um, what you think they should be feeling. So it's very much about like just having that open communication, let them come to you when they feel that they need to, you know, you can obviously, I think definitely if there's something big, look at things like, you know, child therapy and things like that. There's amazing stuff, you know, that they do in terms of play therapy and, and things like that. Um, but I think it's just allowing your kid to know that there's a safe space that they can go to. And even if that means, again, like 
maybe it's not you. Maybe it's an auntie or a sibling or a the neighbor, you know, yeah, if they're close to somebody as well, allowing that to be clear to them that there's that safe space. Um, and I think that's, you know, I didn't want to be forced to talk about anything. And even even when I did eventually go to therapy because I realized I was in a bad place and this was not going to end well, yeah. I still found it very uncomfortable because I was like, why am I sharing this stuff with you? Like, I don't know who you are. You don't know me. Like, so, mm. you know, it took me a while to kind of get into the zone. And so if you think like a, a young child is kind of going, mm, well, why are we sitting down and talking about this right now? I don't <laughs> want to, or I don't want to talk about it with you. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very much spoken about at home. Like, why am I, why are you taking me to come and talk to a stranger when we don't talk about this, you know, in our our normal day-to-day lives? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I think it's just very important to have like, you know, people that they can turn to when they're ready and when they want to, Um, you know, knowing that there's that safe space, I think is really important. Yeah. I think there's also um, the understanding and exactly what you said about um, not forcing your emotions and your grief onto onto your children. I think we also need to remember that um, we all process grief so differently that it's not a case of there's no right or wrong way to grieve. It's, you know, it's as individual as what we each are and that it, it might not be you know, what what you feel grief looks like might not be what you see your child going through, but that doesn't mean that they're not grieving. They just might not have hit a stage yet where they don't know how to cope with it. And like you said, by keeping that communication open and letting them know, if you want to talk to me, if you want to talk to your aunt or your cousin or your, you know, whoever it is, that it's okay to talk about whatever you want to talk about to whichever adult that you feel comfortable with. It doesn't have to be you know, one of the yeah. figures um, and that it, that they're not doing anything wrong by, by having those feelings. I think, you know, it's a, a big one, especially for young kids that don't understand. No, you don't, yeah, you don't know what to do with the stuff that you're feeling, you know, and, um, you know, for me, I just kind of pushed it down. I was like, it's not happening, um, you know, but I think exactly that, like having that safe, open communication and also, you know, some people, want to process like you said emotions right there and then and be all you know tears and drama and that's what works for them and other people want to go away and just think about it and and take some time and it might take them a few months to really just actually get to a point where they're like yeah there's some stuff I don't understand and I need to talk about it you know so it's it's really having that space and understanding like you said that people grieve differently People go through things differently. Um, But I think it's so important to as much as we can not allow it to go on for for years and years because, you know, we're just going to be continuously triggered, you know. And I'm sure most of the people you talk to and talk, you know, with, uh, like most of our adult issues are just childhood triggers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing how, um, I mean, obviously you've got, quite a, a big obvious one but it's amazing about all those other little ones that that you know once we are kind of in those older years uh, <laughs> I've just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago so 
um, I, I'm in those older years now, but when I look back <laughs> and I think, um, you know, something that was so insignificant that for whatever reason in my mind is something that's still, that I remember, mm. that I didn't really understand why once I hit that that certain age and, and was working on why I still have these triggers around certain things, that looking back and I think, oh, right. Mm. Like, you, know, you, you don't understand, you know, things at, at the time, but once you can come back to them, it's like, oh, well, that's obvious why I, you know, have a fear of clowns because my little brother used to chase me around with a clown, you know, out Absolutely. You know? Um, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm an only child, thank goodness. So, yeah, I, I luckily missed out on the joys of that, but I have four children. <laughs> so, yeah, what I missed out on as a sibling I got tenfold as a mum. So, <laughs> thank you, Karma. I, yeah, yep. I Firmly can relate. Karma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, going back to the the time in your life when you were at your lowest, um, you mentioned that you had tried to end your own life. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that period? What What was happening? How did you manage to crawl out of that hole? Because so many people like you said if we get stuck in that one area of life um especially depression depression is fucking horrible and anyone that is listening that has never um felt depression um please stay that way because once you get to that depth of depression I always think of depression as like a a hole that you're digging it's not necessarily that you one day wake up and go oh God, I'm, I'm buried under six feet of, of crap. How do I get out of it? It's each day, day by day, you, you know, it's one shovel at a time mm. that, you know, without realizing it, all of a sudden it's shit, you know, I'm, I'm right down the bottom. Um, and generally we've got someone in our life that notices we're a bit off and, and tries to reach down and offer us a hand to hold, to pull us out. Um, the trouble with that is sometimes we hold on and pull them down with us and that's not what we intend to do, but, but it happens. Um, or it just so happens that they just can't reach where we're so far down that our friends and our support systems aren't enough to help us, you know, start, you know, chipping away at the walls so we can put it under our feet and take those little steps back to the surface. So yeah. How how did you find that experience? Does that analogy ring true to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a hundred percent that it's just a it's a chipping away at yourself every day for you know months, years, um, until one day you actually wake up and you just like you say you're just buried under six feet of dirt and you don't know how you got there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think especially for me because. You know, I was always a bit of an overachiever. I was always, you know, everybody's friend. I was like the people pleaser. And and so for me, it was like I had this facade on the outside, like everything was fine. I was doing well at work. I was doing well, you know, I had loads of friends. I was always, you know, the life of the party, all all those good things, you know. So, um, but again, that was me internalizing everything. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd be like dying inside. Um. And I think also the biggest thing for me when I look back is that I was giving of myself so much and not allowing myself to receive yeah. ever. And I was just giving and giving and giving and then getting home and just feeling so depleted and not knowing why nobody cared or why, 
nobody was giving me anything back and it, and it becomes that sort of cycle of but but why is no one seeing what I'm going through but then when I look back now obviously in the, the hindsight you know I can be like well what they what you were showing them was uh, like you were completely fine yeah um you know and I think it it became that where it was like well why is no one helping me and I think maybe for me personally as well it was going back to that little girl of well why why can no one see that I'm struggling I've lost my mom like why is no one saying anything why is no one doing anything like why are they letting me down and so like I kept having this thing of like well someone will someone will see someone will help me instead Mm -hmm. of obviously realizing that I kind of had to help myself um and yeah I definitely think it's it got to a point where I think in both occasions I somehow managed I guess maybe subconsciously there was something in me that said you can't go through with this like you're not you you need to get help um and on both occasions I did reach out to um different people at the time in my life um who I felt safe enough with to say like I'm in trouble like uh, I need help um so if I could give anybody advice is probably just make sure that you have you know who that person is in your life um you know I hope you never have to get to that point and never have to use them but to be subconsciously aware of who that person is or people um because when you're in that dark place your conscious brain is not functioning um so your subconscious is the one that's going to kick in and say reach out to this person you need to this is your person um and then I think for me you know to come out of that um I mean obviously there was a lot of mental work I had to do um and a lot of rebuilding of myself um and I and and I'll be honest um I think depression is unfortunately a life long problem or or disability so to speak that you 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 work through because you know if I go through really tough times and whatever my my instinct and my default is to go into that self-deprecating I'm the worst person in the whole world I'm never going to be good enough that sort of you know vibe but now I have have the tools obviously I've taught myself to bring myself up back out of there um so, you know, I don't want people to think, well, one day you wake up and it's just all sunshine and rainbows and you feel fabulous. That'd be because great. It's not the, yeah, it would be great. But I don't think it's a fucking reality. No. <laughs> if whoever builds that time machine, if they could also fix that for yeah. us. Um, that look, would be we're, we're only going to take 50% of the profits for the idea. But look, if, yes. if they could do the rest of the work, <laughs> that, that would be great. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. Um, you know, what's it, that thing in um, Men in Black where they put yes. the lights on so then you don't remember yes. anymore <laughs> yes. yeah I can't think what it's called either but at, yeah. anyone that um you know is kind of you know born the 80s ish um yeah. will know that reference because I think yeah. everyone <laughs> that I know has all seen at least the first man in black, Men in um, black. <laughs> yeah yeah that, that would be good yeah um, that would be great yeah, yeah I, and then I think taking care like one of the biggest biggest things that I've noticed in my life is when I'm not taking care of my physical body in terms of nutrition and exercise, I 
when I'm being slack on those things, my mental capacity gets affected and I start to go down to a place where I don't want to be. And it's obviously a vicious circle. So when when you're not feeling good physically, then you don't feel good mentally. And then when you don't feel good mentally, you don't want to make healthy food. You don't want to go exercise. So it's kind of just a big vicious circle. Um, But for me, I never actually really, I mean, I'd always been a very sporty, active person. So I think I took it for granted. Um, But I never realized the huge, huge impact it has on your mental health um until I really needed it um and still to this day you know I'll go through phases where I'm super busy at work or whatever and I haven't exercised or I've had a few too many takeaways this week or something and I can immediately feel that my mental state starts to deteriorate that I start to feel sluggish I start to feel like oh I don't want to do this today or Oh, maybe I'll just like lie in or I'll do this or, you know, it's all that. And it's like you say, again, it's just digging that little hole again, yeah. little bit at a little bit at a time. Yeah. And I think that's where um, a lot of people misunderstand depression and anxiety. I think they feel like it's, um, especially when it's, when you're trying to recognize it in in somebody else, whether it's someone you're close to or a family member, it's, the first thing is exactly what you said. We put on masks, depression masks for our friends, for our co-workers, for our everything. And before we started recording today, we were talking about how as women, we don't want to burden other people. We don't want to, um, we don't want to need to ask for help because we're seen as the caretakers. So, mm. you know, how how can I be taking care of others if if I need help? So no, I'll, I'll just tough through and I and I'll get through it and I'll figure it out. Um, and sometimes that's just not the case. Sometimes yeah. you've got to, let, like you said, you've got to have that one person that you that can either see through your mask or that you're comfortable enough to drop that in front of because yeah. otherwise it's a very lonely and very dangerous road to go down. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's devastating to, to your life and to those around you, especially if people around you can see that, something's off but you're you know continually saying no I'm fine um you know how can someone help you like you said how can someone help you when you don't let them um yeah I think that's a big one too is is letting someone if they they do come to you and say look I've noticed this um you know really take notice of that because you know it especially with mental health it's such a topic that we like we don't want to go and um accuse people of you know of things that they're not going through, but for you to to actually love somebody enough to say, look, I, I can see that this is happening. I think, you know, you might be mm. suffering in silence. That's taken a lot for them to risk you, you know, yeah. to, to say, you know, yes, I am, thank you. Or to, oh my God, who the hell do you think you are? You know, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's a dangerous um, uh, yeah. activity. Um, but it, yeah, it's, in my experience um, with my own depression and with my children's, um, depression is not something that you can necessarily crawl out of on your own. Um, you need someone, you know, there to, to be digging and throwing down that handful of dirt at a time. Some yeah. days it's just checking in to see, you know, if you need milk. Some days it might be, you know, forcing you to shower and, you know, go and buy your own milk 
but it's that that love from from force that that kind of helps you you know to, to shine your light again um yeah and I, I think, think that's exactly it depression is a very isolating yeah. condition and and actually all that person wants is to be seen seen yeah. yeah and um and I agree with you it is a tricky one to navigate as a as a friend or a um you know a concerned party um but I think it's it's very much you know I actually had a funny situation years ago where um I had a what I thought was a friend um who I I was going through a bit of a tough time post my divorce um you know I was doing the usual you know partying too much and doing all that kind of stuff um and instead of her coming to me and actually saying you know is there anything I could help with because I think it's how you approach it it's not like oh I think there's something wrong with you yeah that's just gonna like I'm gonna be like well fuck you actually there's yeah, nothing yeah, wrong with me yeah yeah it's definitely it's, yeah so you know but if she'd come to me and said like is there anything you need help with? I know you're going through, you know, this divorce has been really tough. Like, you know, is there any way I can support you? Like, I probably would have gone, you know what, actually, I actually am really struggling. Mm. But instead, what she did was she went behind my back to other friends and said, I think she needs an intervention. <laughs> oh. And obviously, those friends were really good. And they came to me and said, look, this is what's happening. And I was like, well, they were like, we don't want to be involved in any weird intervention. We think she's just processing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, it's it's like that. It's how you approach it. Because if you just come with genuineness and authenticity of like, how can I support you right now? As opposed to, I think you need help. Yeah. Um, because that's immediately going to get someone's back up. Um, yeah. You know, it gets them on like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, I already know what's wrong with me. And I already know I need help. But I don't, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's very much, um, you know, and please do not say that you need to give that person an intervention. Even yeah. if they are the worst drug addict on the planet, <laughs> just like do not yeah. use that wording. Look, call it a party. Call it yeah. something else. Whatever. That word will trigger that person 100% of the time. It's like saying to a woman who's mad to calm down. That's not going to end well. <laughs> I've never seen a woman relax after being told to relax. <laughs> yeah, no, never, never, ever. Um, yeah, look, I, 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 I think you're right. I think it's mental health is such a uh, an important thing, especially when dealing with trauma. Um, and it's so good that you've found ways that you know that work for you and and how to cope and what your triggers are. Um, I think um, obviously at the end of this podcast, um, you know, I'll be adding some links so that if you are suffering or if you are resonating with any of this self-harm or, you know, if you feel like you're stuck in a hole and, and there's no way out, um, there are places that you can go, um, yeah. you know, contact us here at, at the podcast. Um, we'll be, um, you know, talking about topics like this all the time. We'll be doing... Um, um, well, I can't think of the word now. I had to for a recording. Um, other events, because I can't think of what they're called, um, uh, like panel discussions. Thank you, Brain, for finally clicking. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Um, on topics like this, you know, with a group of people that 
um, to, to get all of this out because having a mental health disorder, I've been um, medicated for depression since my fiance passed away seven years ago. Um, and it's, it's something that people still find like there's a stigma uh, attached to. And I know when my children were medicated for it um, when they were teenagers for a few weeks at a time to help them cope, um, I equate it to, um, especially as a parent, that there is connections in your brain that are broken. If you, if one of my children or if you or I had a broken bone, we would go and get a cast that would help that to heal in a healthy way for us to be able to function normally again. Um, depression is one of those things that just there's this pathways that aren't quite connecting um and giving us the the normal dopamine that we need to raise our um mood um and for me medication is that cast it is that that's that band-aid that that connects the two things that allows me to not live in a hole i i stand on top of of my you know i, I think it's like a mound um, and some days, you know, I'm buried up to my knees, some days up to my neck, but I, I use it as a tool to help me not ever get so far down that I, I can't crawl back up. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, like you yeah. said, it's a lifelong thing. It's not something that you're just going to wake up one day and go, oh, I'm fixed. Um, yeah. It's a little bit like having an addiction in a way that, you know, it, it comes in ebbs and flows. And there are times in my life that I've, I've not been medicated at all. And they're perfectly fine, but it's something that in the back of your mind, you just need to be wary of, especially for any women out there who have had um, postnatal depression. Um, most people think that that only happens in the that first kind of part uh, of life after having a baby. And that's not the case. It can last years. So, you know, if you think that that you might be touched by that, um, you know, just just keep it in the back of your mind that it's not the end of the world to have to to go down the medication route or go down the therapy route because if you're not looking after you and you're not doing that self-care you're no good to anyone else around you um I'm what... so glad you brought that up actually because it's something that I completely agree with you on like when when I was in those really bad moments like right post-suicide attempts the only thing that was going to help support me get back on track was medication like no amount of talking or um you know meditation or exercise or whatever at that moment was going to get me out of where I was and so I 100% agree that you know and and Gabby Bernstein even talks about it with her own um you know journey yeah. where you know medication can save your life in that moment and yes do we do we want to you know I I like to avoid medications as much as possible and you know I'm definitely one that looks for holistic options um however I completely agree with you like I would not have survived some of those moments without the help of medication um and and also the other thing to realize is like even you know there'd be times where I was just going through a really tough time at work and I just wasn't coping with the pressures and I had a terrible boss who, you know, and I actually chose to go back on medication. And a part of me at the time 
felt like a failure. I felt like, oh, I'm not coping. You know, like I'm just weak. I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to do. Why does everyone else cope with life and I can't cope with a bad boss and a bit of stress, you know? But actually I had to realize that one, I do have a history and a condition, just like if I had asthma, you know? Um, So that's one aspect of it. And two, you're a survivor and a fighter if you admit that you're struggling and you go and get the help that you need, whatever that looks like. Um, You know, obviously, hopefully it's not alcohol or drugs, um, but, you know, it it doesn't make you a failure. In fact, it makes you successful and a survivor. Um, And I I give so much more respect, like the the fact that you could recognize that whether it's because somebody brought it to your attention, but, you know, like they they say, you know, um, admitting you've got a problem is the first step. And, and it is, if you continually deny yourself, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, you're never going to, you know, move past where you are. But admitting, yeah. you know what, I'm, I'm not fine and, and I, I am going to have to, you know, seek someone to help me through this, that's, in my book, that's the strongest thing that yeah. you could ever do, ever, because asking for help through depression is, you know, like, oh, it, yeah. it at the time and don't wait until you're already down that dark hole again you know that's I think that's the thing I've learned now is like you know I I work a lot on my mental health and stuff every day so that I can try prevent you know prevention is always better than cure but I also know that when I see those signs coming up again that I immediately try address it now like you say whether that's you know I try all the 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 things I have but sometimes I need to go speak to somebody or I need to um, seek medical attention or whatever and I think that's exactly it is is don't leave it too late don't feel like you're being a failure or you're not you're not good enough or anything to to do those things you know don't don't listen to anybody else do what you need to do for you yeah and like you said, the it's not a forever you're doomed, you will never get off this. It's it's something that um, you know, you take while you need it. And then when you feel like you're back on top of things, you taper back down and see how you cope. Um yeah. it, you know, the it, it's not a forever sentence. You, you know, you might only need it for you know a few months or, or a couple of years. Um, yeah. but it will always be there as that, you know, that stepping stone to help you should you need it um and yeah there's no yeah it's funny it's like you say like you break your leg you don't go no I don't want the cost thanks or you have an asthma attack you say no I don't want the oxygen thank you you know it's like nobody does that (laughs) yeah and if we can start changing the way we view some of the mental health issues to be as simple as that there is a connection that it just isn't getting through it needs a band-aid um you know it's not um you know, it's not a, a death sentence. It's, you know, it's something that just needs help connecting, um, you know, and, and yeah, we, we all need help now and then, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, okay, well, we've had a really deep, um, you know, gone <laughs> right deep. It, we were in the hole. Um, yeah, we were in the hole. <laughs> I, I didn't find the time machine down there. I also didn't find any diamonds, which I was hoping to, but... We've climbed back out. We are, you know, smiling. Um, you know, this is the purpose of this, as we said, is to help others that that don't have anyone to talk to or that don't 
have somebody else talking about their um, journey and what they're going through so that we can hear, oh, yeah, I have felt like that. Maybe, you know, uh, I'm, my hope is that someone listening to this podcast right now, you know, hears our, our whole analogy and goes, oh, I do feel like that most days. You know, I do feel like, you know, I, I look up and I can't quite see the surface. Um, if that's you, please reach out to, to someone close to you or to your GP and, and get some help because it's not, it's not anything to be ashamed of. It, it's like a broken bone. You wouldn't want, um, you know, if I always think about what if my best friend came to me and said this, um, my, my first reaction would be to help her. So why am I not doing that for myself? Why wouldn't I, you know, give myself the advice that I would give somebody that I love because I, I should be loving myself as well. So, okay, so our, our top three tips for resilience. I mean, you've had an incredible story that, you know, I, I can't imagine too many people, um, you know, will truly understand unless they've lived it. But, you know, having been through some shit, what, <laughs> what do you find? I mean, you said going to the gym and exercising is one of your self-care things that has helped you. What would be the top tips to someone that you would give about resilience right now that maybe hasn't, you know, or hasn't realised just how how deep they're in um, to help them get get back up? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, like I said, I think um, keeping your body as healthy as you can is is such a huge impact on our mental health and. Um, you know, there's scientific studies that our gut health is directly related to our mental health. Um, so, you know, if we're not taking care of, if you're going to only take care of one thing on your body, make sure it's your gut. Um, <laughs> because that's what's impacting your, impacting your brain. I think another thing for me that I've had to learn is um, to stop people pleasing, to stop oh, yeah. letting people get in my head. Because the more I let people dictate the decisions I made in my life, the more I let them, you know, go after their goals at the expense of my own, the more I kind of just allowed them to control the trajectory of my life, the more I felt an unease in my own life. Because, you, you know, your soul knows that this doesn't feel right, but you keep trying anyway. And that's, I think, where I started to feel really unsure of myself, all the insecurities, all of that, because I was trying to follow dreams and paths and goals and opinions of people who hadn't done my journey, people who didn't know my life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such a huge thing. It's easier said than done. You know, we have to work at it, but it's, try stay in your lane as much as possible because that's where you're going to find the joy and the confidence and the self-belief and the self-love is when you're doing things that light you up yeah um and then I think the other thing is be super clear on your values um this is one thing that I never did like I I had values in my life but I I always kind of put them aside to compromise for other people or to make other people happy again a bit of that people pleasing but when I realized that sticking to my values and and basically filtering everything in my life through those values so when I make a decision or I want to 
you know, somebody asks me something, you know, do you want to, I don't know, go clubbing? Not that I've done that in years, but, you know, <laughs> uh, like, do you want to go clubbing? I ask myself, does this align with my values? Does their behavior align with my values? Do I want to be around this person? Do I want to be in this situation? Um, and that to have, when you start to filter your life through your values, initially it can be quite difficult because you have to learn to say no to things. Mm. Um, however, the more you filter life through your values, the more people in line with those values and the more situations in line with those values that are going to present themselves to you. And then it just becomes easier because you don't have to say no because they're the right people, the right places, the right situations. And again, that will then lift your confidence and your mental health and make you feel good about yourself because you're around people who get you. Yeah, 100%. Completely agree. Um, so last thing, for, for anyone that's really resonating um. I know, and I'm sure you agree, when it comes to finding that person to talk to, um, you've really got to resonate with them and, and you've got to kind of feel that connection with them to really open up and, and be able to work through your shit. Um, so for anyone that wants to work with you, um, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so um, the easiest is probably on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, so on Instagram, it's Carla Caswell Coaching. Um, and on LinkedIn, it's just my name again, Carla Caswell. Um, you could also drop me an email if you like um, at hello at carlacaswell.com. Perfect. We will have all of that stuff in the description below if anyone would like to, to contact Carla to get some help because it's always nice to at least be talking to someone that really does understand what it's like. Um, I, I know my one of my children has uh, OCD and his psychologist said to me one day, for me to try and understand what it's like for him, when I have a shower to wash myself feet first to my head. And when I went, oh God, why would I do that? That's stupid. She went, exactly. But that's how it feels for, for him to be doing things that his brain is telling him is the wrong way around. Um, and I it's something Love that, that I always remember. And I think, yeah. So anyone out there, give it a try. When you shower tonight, try washing yourself from the the feet up. so weird <laughs> I had to rewash myself it was the craziest thing um but it, it does always help when you know someone understands you know so that they can give you that point of view so thank you so much for your time with us today Carla I'm sure this is only you know the first of many chats that we'll have um on the podcast together over time um but if anyone would like more information please make sure that you see the description down below or follow Carla on her socials until then, I will say goodbye until we talk again um, on another topic from the heart.